Amen. Please remain standing if you're able and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 once again. Isaiah 9, page 573 in the Blue Pew Bible. I'm so glad that uh, Mrs. Peterson had us learn that song a few years ago. I love that song. I tend to pick songs only that I, I, I'm familiar with, and so anytime we can learn a great new song, that's a good thing. Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll read beginning in verse 2 through verse 7. Here God's word is inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Isaiah writes, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment royal, rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, verse 3 speaks about joy. The Lord has increased the joy of this nation that the writer speaks of. First, he says, you've multiplied the nation. The nation of Judah, the nation of Israel has been multiplied. And God has increased their joy. They rejoice before the Lord. This is all the promise of the Savior being given here and joy being promised through him. So it's fitting to ask, what is your greatest joy, people? We have many enjoyments in life. We enjoy many things. But where does your greatest joy come from? Maybe you... Think of something right away. 
thing you enjoy most in this life? Is it some possession? Is it some material thing? We do enjoy the things that God has given us, the gifts that he's given to us. Don't let anyone tell you you shouldn't enjoy the blessings that God gives you in this life. You certainly should. You should enjoy them with thanksgiving. Um, But what is your greatest joy of all? Don't let created things be your greatest joy. Many people do take their greatest joy in the things of this world, things in this life. The satisfaction they get from material things or from the people in their lives. Again, those are all good gifts that are meant to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Family, friends, work. The provisions God has supplied us with. We'd be wrong not to enjoy those things. But Isaiah here gives us occasion to ask, what is the source of our greatest joy? And is our greatest joy found in what it should be found in? Isaiah's been telling us here in chapter 9, as we've looked at it, um, telling us of these people who were without this joy. They lived in darkness. They lived in oppression. But now things have changed. Or rather, here in this prophecy, they were promised that they would change. They would see a marvelous light. The darkness would be dispelled. They were slaves, and their yoke would be broken, the yoke of slavery. The bar across their shoulders, chains, if you will, would be shattered. The rod of their oppressors would be destroyed. These people knew what it was to suffer. And again, in the context here, we're talking about the people of Judah, specifically the people to the north who were um, soon to be invaded by the uh, Assyrian army. They had already been invaded by the Syrian uh, army and the army of the northern kingdom of Israel. They were already suffering, and it was only only going to get worse. And there had already been so much suffering in the past. But the promise here is that they would have great joy. Isaiah writes of an increased joy that God would give them. Joy multiplied. The joy of freedom. The joy of harvest time. He uses these beautiful images just to try to stress the, the wonder of this great joy that God is bringing. The joy of victory over all of these enemies. But what is the source of this joy? Well, he's not just talking about um, deliverance in that day. He's not just talking about that particular uh, moment in time, in history, in Judah. He's talking about this child, this promised child. He writes, for to us a child is born. 
To us, a son is given. That's where this greatest joy was going to be found. He's the source of the greatest joy for all his people. Those who know their guilt and sin, those who know the oppression of sin in their lives, will have great joy in God's deliverance through this child. His redemption that he is bringing into the world through this person, this wonderful person described here, this child, this son, who would be given for God's people. And that, of course, is what Christmas is about. Christmas is about salvation for hell-bound sinners. It is about this joy that has come into the world. Joy for people who know themselves to be guilty, miserable sinners, lawbreakers. People who know the domination of sin over their lives and hate it. That's what this child came for. He was given to save us and to reconcile us to a holy God and to make us friends with God. That's the source of our joy, that restored relationship with God. He came to replace our sorrow with joy in the Lord. Joy in God's grace that saves us. Joy in God's love that motivated him to do all this for us. Joy that comes from being brought into a, a close and loving relationship with God, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the joy that this child came into the world to bring us. Has that joy become yours? Is it real to you? Or is it just words? Do you have that joy that you've been made right with God? Joy that you know God. You personally know Him. Not just know about Him, but know Him in a living relationship. An, an, an ever-increasing knowledge of who He is and what He's done for you and how He loves you. Do you have joy in the knowledge that if you died right now or this very day, you would be perfected in glory and you would instantly be in the presence of the Lord and you would live in his wonderful presence and enjoy him forever? I pray that you know that joy. That's the joy that every believer in Christ has. And if you've been a Christian a long time, I pray that, that you still have that joy and that it becomes uh, an increasing joy and that the Lord multiplies that joy uh, as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of him and what he's done for you. And we say our, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The catechism uh, tells us that, those wonderful words. 
But you can't just produce joy on your own. That's not something that we can do. We can't, uh, can't fake it. We can't make it on our own. It has to come to us from outside. It has to, it's a gift from God that he gives to us. We have to receive it by faith. It comes through knowing this child who was born of a virgin, this child king. Have you come to know him and to trust in him? Have you received this person who is the gift of God? If not, I encourage you, I urge you to seek God for this gift now. Seek this great Savior. and He will give himself to you, this free gift of Jesus Christ and eternal life in him is yours. You'll simply receive him by faith. Just trust in this Savior, and he and all his saving benefits will be yours. And eternal joy along with him. Well, Isaiah tells us more about this, this one who is the true source of our joy. He tells us about this child who was given to us. We're looking at verse 6 today, and the names that are uh, uttered here, names that were given to this child. They've been called by some the throne names of the Messiah. And we'll look at two of them today, the first two, and Lord willing, we'll look at the others next time. First, we're told here in verse 6 that this child who would bring joy to the world will be called by this name. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And first of all, the point here is that he himself, this person, is wonderful. He is a wonder in who he is. And the wonder of it all is brought home to us in the way he came into the world. Promised to come into the world through the virgin birth. It was a supernatural wonder of a birth for a wonder of a being. A wonderful supernatural being. Jesus Christ. He is the greatest wonder imaginable because he is God and man. You may think nothing's more wonderful than God. And that's true, except for maybe one thing, and that is God when he became man. And that's who this person is. He is God and man in one glorious person. And he will eternally be God and man. He was God from all eternity. He never began to be God. He always was God. The second person of the blessed Holy Trinity. And, and he never ceased to be God either when he came into the world. 
but he added to his divine nature a human nature, a full human nature. So he is fully man while also remaining fully God in one glorious person. He is a wonder indeed, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, the same Hebrew word for wonder is used in Judges 13. Remember, remember that passage where Samson's parents met the angel of the Lord. And wherever you encounter the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you'll see that phrase uh, quite a few times. You should pay close attention uh, because it is probably not uh, just any angel. The angels are created beings God made for his glory and to be his servants and to serve his people. But this is believed by many to be a manifestation of the Lord himself. And we believe that to be the case with Samson's parents. When the angel of the Lord, the angel or messenger of the Lord, came to meet them and announced that they would have a son. You may remember they asked him, What is your name? And he replied, it was such a curious reply. He said, Why do you ask my name? For it is wonderful. It is wonderful. Why would he say that? Well, this was a, a glorious supernatural being. Maybe they should have known uh, who this was standing before them just by his appearance. Uh, this was one who was far above even the celestial angels. This is one who is incomprehensible to finite minds because he is infinite. God appearing to them in that moment. In all likelihood, uh, this may well have been a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus before the manger, showing us a glimpse of his glory. And so it's, uh, it makes perfect sense why this word is used here in Isaiah to speak of this child. He is a wonder, wonderful, because he's no mere creature. He is God, and he is a child, a man. Think about that. He is the creator of all things, and he becomes a creature. Jesus was not just a special child who grew up to be a great man, a great teacher, even a, a miracle worker. No, he is the wonderful God-man. And so already here in this promise of Scripture, this word wonderful speaks of his identity, his divine nature. He is the Lord. 
the king of glory. But his work is also in view here. He's called Wonderful Counselor. Because he is God, he will be a wise ruler for his people. And they need a wise ruler. We're told the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will have the wisdom for that. He will be capable of handling the government of his people. He's not like human kings and the human kings of Israel. Um, Ahaz is the one who we're considering here in these, uh, these chapters of Isaiah. And the bad choices he's making. He's not trusting in the Lord. Uh, he, like so many other of Israel and Judah's kings did not trust the Lord. They turned away from the Lord. They lacked wisdom. And that's so clear from their failings, turning away from the Lord, not trusting in the Lord, looking for help from the nations around them, leading the nation into idolatry. Even the best of the human kings made horrible decisions, Israel's kings. God's people need a real king, a good king, one with wisdom from above. And here he is. This king is infinitely wise, and he will be able to rule his people perfectly. You just think about all our human rulers down through the centuries and up to the present. We need better rulers, don't we? There's never been a time in history where we have, people haven't been just banging their head about their rulers. We have terrible rulers. Well, this king will rule us perfectly with perfect wisdom and righteousness. And he doesn't need a bunch of human advisors around him to help him figure out how to rule his people well. He doesn't need any human counselors at all because he embodies the wisdom of God and he does all things well according to the counsel of his own will. In Romans 11, we read, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? This is the wonderful, perfect wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wisdom embodied, perfect wisdom. He's the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as Colossians 2 tells us. In 1 Corinthians 1, we're told that He, Jesus Christ, has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He is a wise and good Savior. 
He's provided a salvation that meets all our needs. And he even comes then to live within us and give wisdom to us in union with him. He gives us the mind of Christ. He knows exactly what's needed to save sinners. And he provides it. So it's not a kind of higher um, knowledge that we need in order to be saved. We don't need to just become smarter than others. We need him. We need this person. Jesus Christ. And we're told God has given him to us. We don't have to strive to attain this salvation. God has sent it down to us in the person of his wise and wonderful son, our Savior and King. And all we need to do is receive him. Receive him by faith. Trust in him and him alone to save us. Next, this child is called Mighty God. Mighty God. El Gibor is the Hebrew. El, of course, means God. Gibor means mighty, warrior. Jesus Christ is our mighty warrior. He's the Savior who is mighty in battle to save his people from all their enemies. Isaiah doesn't say here that he's, uh, this person is going to be like God. He says he will be God, mighty God. He's not going to be just some heroic man who does mighty things. Of course, the Bible's full of heroic figures like that who are just mere men. And yet the Lord uses them to do great things. Think of David, the judges, so many figures throughout history, but no one like this. No, Isaiah says he will be called mighty God. He's God Almighty in the flesh. The New Testament makes it clear that this is who he is. John calls this same person by another name. You recall he calls him the Word. In John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And Paul in Romans 9 writes of Jesus who, he calls him the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. And in Titus 2, Paul again speaks of him and calls him our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone tell you that the Scriptures don't speak clearly in saying that Jesus is God. And Hebrews 1 makes it so clear. The writer of Hebrews knew exactly what Isaiah was writing about in Chapter 1 of Hebrews, he says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Of course, we're reading from one of those prophets now. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he goes on and he says in verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his powerful word. That's Jesus Christ. This child, this promised child, upholding the universe. It was all made through him and he continues to uphold it by his word. Hebrews 1 verse 8 goes on to say, and of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. That's God the Father speaking of God the Son, the King that he has set upon the throne of his kingdom. He's talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. The God whose kingdom will never end. So the Messiah was not to be just a man, even some great, uh, heroic, godlike man, some mythical, great, glorious figure. No, but he is a man. He's David's son, descended from David, but he's also David's Lord. He is the Lord. Almighty God and man, one blessed person. And he has used his mighty power to lovingly work salvation for us. A perfect salvation. A salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone, in this Savior. And he's given us peace with God. He says, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He came as a child, but also as this mighty warrior God. And he did battle for us. And he won a great victory for us. He battled in his earthly life to live a life of perfect obedience before the Father. He battled to resist the devil and every temptation. And then he defeated death through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. He used his mighty power in that way to save sinners like us. People, isn't it wonderful the way that God came into the world to take up his reign as our king? He is almighty God. He is the commander of all the armies of heaven. He could have come 
in force. He could have come with all his holy angels. It probably wouldn't take all of his holy angels either to conquer the world by force. It would have been easy for Almighty God to do this. He could have forced all people to bow the knee to his son. But instead, he came gently and lowly. He looked on us with love and compassion. He saw our sinful, broken condition. And with a heart of love for us and a desire to have us as his people, as his bride, he came in the person of his son to save us by his grace and to restore us to his love. He came to turn all our warfare, our war with God, into peace. He came to turn our darkness and the darkness that we were living in in sin, to turn it into light. He came to turn our despair into joy, everlasting joy. That is how this almighty God chose to come humbly as a child, child king, to take over the government of our hearts. Have you entrusted your soul to him as your good Savior and Lord? That's the only way that you can have that true joy and light and peace, peace with God. Embrace this one by faith, this eternal and almighty God who was born a man to live for you and to die for you because of his great love for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you to enable each of us to receive your Son and all his saving blessings that he gives. He is God with us. Lord, grant us faith to receive him and rest upon him as our Savior and to submit to him as our Lord and King. What a good Gracious Lord and Master, he is to us. Lord, increase our joy, each and every one of us, by teaching our hearts to know him, who is altogether good, altogether lovely, altogether loving toward us. Such a great and steadfast love he has for us. Open our hearts to the Savior, we pray in his name. Amen.